Not to be all doom and gloom. This is not going to be Alabama's year. Not all seasons are defined by success or failure as to winning the championship or not. I don't think that's fair for anyone. I do not think the Alabama run is over. I don't. But I do feel like the program is on more shaky footing than it's been in quite some time. Hello and welcome to Tuesday, November 8th edition of Always College Football. I'm Greg McElroy. Along with me, as always, is Mark Kubiak. We appreciate you being with us for where you're coming to us from. That's ESPN's YouTube channel. Or if you're here with us via the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We have a great game plan in store for you today. We're going to dive into the Alabama dynasty. If you're a fan of Alabama or if you want me to bring some levity to the conversation, we will do so today. I got to be honest, there are some things that will be said on this show that I have never said publicly, especially as it relates to Alabama and their future. I will also talk a little bit about whether or not Michigan and TCU, you know, where are they right now? Are they the best teams in their respective conferences? We'll have that discussion. Then, of course, we'll be joined by a coach that had one of the best performances of the weekend. Marcus Freeman joins the show. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. All right, y'all, as you know, it's not a secret. I played at Alabama. I played for Nick Saban. I was a part of the teams from 2006 to 2010. I experienced the culture shift. I experienced the change. I saw what it was like before he arrived, and I saw what it was like after I had departed the program, having already won a national championship. I've seen it at its best. I've seen it at its worst of the Nick Saban era. I've seen it all. I've probably seen every single offensive and defensive play in that era as well. Few things that we need to discuss today. This is the first time that I have ever actually been concerned about the future of the program. The first time. I have seen them lose when people have said the dynasty is over. I've seen people back in 2014 say that this team will never regain their prowess and their strength. I've seen coach after coach after coach depart for what they might consider to be greener pastures. I've seen everything that this program has endured in the last several years, and I have never been concerned about whether or not they'd be better tomorrow than they were today. I always thought, regardless of where the program was at, that as long as Nick Saban's there, they're going to be just fine. I've also never gone as far as to say that Nick Saban should leave or this coach should be fired and this guy's terrible and he needs to be benched. I've never gone about it in that fashion. I don't believe in it. I'm not a hot take artist. I'm not one that's going to go into the whole, well, if this doesn't work, everyone should be fired. I'm not a well, everything's always greener on the other side type of guy. It's just not the way I look at it. I try to be pragmatic. I try to be understanding and I try to be thoughtful. Well, right now, Alabama feels like it's at a little bit of a crossroads. Okay. Nick Saban is a guy that has always preached discipline, effort, toughness, pride. If you don't believe me, those being the four words, those are actually the pillars of the fourth quarter program which is the foundation of what Alabama football has always been about. Now, here's the problem right now. There are a lot of guys on that roster and a lot of coaches, frankly, on that staff that 
didn't really have anything to do with the foundation of the program being created. There's really only one guy that's on that staff that has been there from the beginning, that has a great understanding of how this program was built, and that's Nick Saban. Now, I'm not discrediting Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator, or Bill O'Brien. I'm not calling for their jobs. I'm not saying they need to be reassigned or they need to be released. All I'm saying is that there needs to be a legitimate effort from Nick Saban to bring in some coaches that understand what this program once looked like and what this program needs to look like. And you can't sit here and tell me, well, they've had to adapt and evolve with the times. That's great. Evolution's an absolute necessity if you're going to be relevant years and years and years into your tenure. I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't change. I'm not saying that you need to start out with the fullback, two tight ends, and run the ball 70 times a game, throw it 12, and call it a day. No, that's not what it needs to be. But there's no reason for Alabama to abandon who they were as much as they have. Now, I understand you played at the program strengths. And the strengths of the program in recent years have been a quarterback and a wide receiver. Those have been the strongest attributes. And if you look at what Bill O'Brien is, for instance, or what Steve Sarkeesian was before that, or what Mike Loxley was before that, or what you know Lane Kiffin was before that, or Brian Dable, who was in there as well in the 2017 season, if you look at every single one of those coaches, it's always been about matchups and creating matchups. That's what it's been about. Started with Lane Kiffin. They found matchups for Amari Cooper. And then they found matchups for Derrick Henry. Those matchups being run boxes. And then in 2016, they found matchups for all the different receivers. I mean, Calvin Ridley, and then of course, Jalen Hurts' legs and things like that. 2017, you look at what those receivers were that year. All right, Jerry Judy and all those incredible receivers. Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, who was a baby. Henry Ruggs, who was a baby. A lot of great receivers. On that 2017 team, 2018, same group, 2019, unbelievable group as well. 2020, another great group with Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, who went on to win the Heisman Trophy. And then in 2021, John Mechie and Jamison Williams. Well, you can't run a matchup-based offense when you don't have favorable matchups. And if you look at, really, the wide receivers in particular, that's a remarkably disappointing group. Your best offensive weapon is your running back, who was also a transfer. So I think you really need to assess, all right, it's great to be a matchup offense, but ultimately, if you can't win the matchups, what exactly is your offense going to be like? It's going to be stagnant, it's going to be predictable, and it's going to be relied upon great quarterback and Bryce Young extending plays and making off-schedule plays. That's the first issue. Issue number two, if you look at kind of what they've become defensively. If you look at how they've now become a little bit more porous defensively, I'll start with this. They're not as good up the middle of the defense as they once were. They don't have an eraser at the second level, a la Rolanda McClain, a CJ Mosley, a great game-changing middle linebacker. They don't have that right now. No disrespect to Henry To'oto, they just don't have that. They have great edge defenders, but edge defenders can be neutralized if you just run the other direction. Or if you add extra pieces to block Will Anderson 
a lot a chip or a tight end or something like that. You can take the pressure off your tackle if you just beat it up a little bit. But that's doable. But personnel-wise, they're not as good as they once were. You know what they also do? They do too much. I mean, if you look at their defensive plan, it's like, goodness gracious, this is so dang complicated. How about you simplify it a little bit? How about you water it down a little bit? And that's not just Pete Golding's fault. That's also Nick Saban's fault. They're doing too much. And I think at times on defense, there's paralysis by analysis. All right? But ultimately, I think here's the biggest problem. Is that when I was in school, and this is not a, hey, old guy yelling at cloud moment. I know you might interpret it that way. I won't be offended if you do. I'm old. I get it. All right? I'm also a little nostalgic. I get that too. All right? But when we went to Alabama, we chose Alabama because we wanted to be held accountable. We chose Alabama because we believed in toughness, effort, pride, physical. That was what we signed up for. Our off-season program was hell on earth. Our summer program was hell on earth. Each and every practice was hell on earth. The only thing that was fun was the result of the game. Everything about playing in the program was incredibly difficult, but we ultimately knew that that misery that we experienced Monday through Friday, if it gave us a good result on Saturday, it was all worth it. I think they've abandoned that in some ways. In an effort to create a more player-friendly environment, they've abandoned that a little bit. And then I would also say too, if you're going to be active in the portal, and Alabama has been very active in the portal, sometimes it's been great. Other times it's not worked out so well. But if you're going to go after specific players and go after great players, it's one thing to go get a guy from Vanderbilt, another thing to go get a guy from Georgia Tech. But when you're taking on guys from LSU and Georgia, why is it that you think LSU and Georgia allowed those guys to leave? Well, you could say, well, LSU has experienced transition. Fine. They made it a priority to make sure that Kayshawn Booty stayed. Why do you think that was? If they're willingly allowing guys to walk out the door, do you really think that it's in your best interest to bring them onto your roster? Probably not. Now, not to be all doom and gloom. This is not going to be Alabama's year. Not all seasons are defined by success or failure as to winning the championship or not. I don't think that's fair for anyone. I do not think the Alabama run is over. I don't. But I do feel like the program is on more shaky footing than it's been in quite some time. How do you fix it? One, you go out and get the coaches that helped build it in the first place. Two, you go back and try to recruit players that have genuine pride in being on the roster and genuine pride in the effort that they want to put in every day to make sure that they leave the place in a better spot than where they found it. Three, you use NIL, but NIL is not going to be used as an inducement. NIL will be used as a performance indicator. You play well, you get paid. Simple as that. Four, everything needs to revert back to being as tough and as physical as humanly possible. And this is not exclusive to Alabama. This can be applied at a lot of different places as well. Much of my last five, six, seven, eight minutes has been derived from Alabama. But if you're looking at your own team right now and thinking, man, why is it that we have great players, but they don't seem to play great all the time? Maybe you need to consider how you approach NIL. Maybe you need to consider the type of guy that you're bringing in in the portal. 
Maybe you need to consider that maybe your coaching staff is a little bit more about the relationship that's created and the recruiting and not as much about the XO and creating an edge and getting the most out of the specific player when they get on campus. This is applicable in a lot of different places. You know who you are. Just watch your team. If it feels like they're underperforming based on what the talent level is, I'm sure you can make and probably assess some of the adjustments that need to be assessed with Alabama. They can also be applied to your school as well. So that's the modern era that we're living in. It's very, very difficult, but it needs to get fixed quickly because it feels right now for the first time in a long time, the grass might not be greener for some of these programs here in this new era of college football. All right, let me ask you something then, McElroy. With everything that you just said, do you see wholesale changes coming to Alabama this offseason? I don't know how they can't be. I mean, at some point, I mean, if you look at how the players are performing and the lack of accountability and the lack of improvement in some spots and just some of the issues that continue to crop up and the lack of discipline, I mean, how could it not be? I mean, at... I, I'm not suggesting that you fire everybody and you clean house. I mean, Nick Saban's had to do that several different times. But I think he needs to at least bring in two or three guys that have been there before, that understand the standards that need to be in place, that understand how it looked back in the day when Alabama was at its very best. And if you bring those guys in, they could help revitalize the culture that allowed Alabama to get to where they're at. Because unfortunately, those that grew up in it and those that have watched Alabama in the last 15 years, the product that we see on the field right now is in a lot of ways unrecognizable. That's, I think, something that needs to get addressed and get addressed quickly. So I would imagine that some of the old heads, some of the guys that might have gotten away, they would be a high priority for me if I were Nick Saban to bring them back into the fold and to help recreate the program that was created 10 or 12 years ago, five or six championships ago as well. Football season is here and nothing beats seeing your favorite team live. Not only does Vivid Seats have great NFL ticket prices, they're also the official ticketing partner of ESPN. And with Vivid Seats rewards, when you buy 10 tickets, you get the 11th free. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. Receive a reward credit equal to the average price of 10 tickets purchased, excluding taxes, fees, and processing costs. See vividseats.com slash rewards for terms and conditions. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. Thrilled to be joined with the man of the hour, coming off one of the best performances of the entire weekend. Coach uh, Marcus Freeman, I, I feel like you need no introduction at this point, but I, I'm just amazed at at how you guys were able to dominate the line of scrimmage this past weekend against a team that prides itself against the run, prides itself on their physicality, and yet it was like men amongst boys. Man, how did you pull that off? Yeah, I wish I could say it was that easy, men amongst boys. But, um, <laughs> no, it was, uh, you know, 
kudos to our, you know, start with our office coordinator and the game plan we had to truly try to control the tempo and change the way we came out of huddles. And sometimes we huddled, sometimes we got to line of scrimmage and check just different ways to control the tempo. But, you know, it was a faith and belief in what we were doing. Our backs have to trust those old linemen. As you go back and watch the film, a lot of times, man, there's not a hope. And very at the last second, the, the small window opens up and those backs were able to hit them. And, and it just comes from repetition and, and faith that that hole's going to be where it's supposed to be. And uh, our offensive line, man, they blocked their tails off. So it was really an accumulation effect of many different things, but the execution was beautiful. It's been so fun to watch your backs work, Coach. We've, we've known that it's been a position of strength, a position of depth, uh, I think anyone would love to have just one of those guys. Meanwhile, you have three, uh, Estime and Diggs. And then, of course, using Tyree in as many ways as that you can use him is, is phenomenal. So, uh, you know, what is it like to have and be able to have to distribute the touches amongst those guys, knowing that each one could be a feature back depending on the week? Yeah, you know, it's got to start off with that that room and that there's a culture of, of unselfishness, you know, because as you said, those guys could easily say, I want the ball 40, 50 times. I want to be the feature back. But we have three guys that at any moment or any game, they're the feature back. And um, I think they're buying into it. They're buying into being fresh. They're buying into when I get hot, man, I'm going to go. And, and <laughs> it's really good to see they're their biggest supporters. Um you know, they, they really, really rally behind that old line. we got five guys up front that are blocking their tails off. And uh, again, man, it's a belief in what we're doing. It's been awesome. Could you have handled Estime in the open field or were you gotten trucked? Yeah, I'm going to go low on him, you know. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm pretty – hey, listen, one thing I got, I'm going I'm to be smart. When I see that dude coming, I'm going to go low. Yeah, that's a business decision. I understand yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> at least a, a sense of pride for sure, because if you get drug, uh, you know you're going to hear about it in the meeting room uh, the next day. You mentioned your offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese. And, and look, Tommy Reese, has, he's endured criticism. At every, by the way, every offensive coordinator has, has it. I mean, at this point, like everyone thinks they can call plays better than the, than the OC, right? Because we all play Madden and we dial it up. But I think Tommy, as much as anybody else, the last two games against both Syracuse and last week against Clemson, man, I mean, you guys had to have run duo a hundred times. It's like, hey, we're not getting cute. We're gonna, hey, we're going downhill. This is what, hey, you know what's coming. Good luck stopping it. So, and sometimes I think coaches, it, man, it, it's kind of hard in some ways to just call the same play over and over again. Yet he's stuck with it. So, what does that say about his patience and, and maybe just him maturing now? Uh, as a coordinator, is he getting so old at the ripe old age of what, 31? <laughs> exactly. You know, I think it's it's maturity. And, you know, he's a former quarterback. If, if Tommy Reese could throw the ball 70 times a game, he would and, and try to get a thousand passing yards. But what we've, we've really become is a, a culture and a team that's really willing to do whatever it has whatever it takes to have success. And I think right now, Coach Reese understands it, man. Right now, the strength of our team and our offense is the ability to run the ball, which creates it opens up some things in the passing game. I know we have Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer has to block, and he yeah. does, he's done a heck of a job blocking, um, which, again, gives him an opportunity to get the game ceiling touchdown at the end of the game versus uh, Clemson. And so, um, you know, it's really just understanding what your strengths are, putting your ego aside, um, and be willing to adapt. And that's what you see Coach Reese and our entire offensive team doing. 
Yeah, it was awesome to watch. And by the way, you mentioned Michael Mayer. He does block now. Like yeah. <laughs> he said, oh, yeah. he'll, oh, yeah. he'll stick his nose in there. He's not scared. Um, I, I also want to ask you a little bit. This is the first time ever that I've talked about special teams. I've said it reluctantly as we talked about it the other day. Uh, I am not a special teams guy. I think it's a better game without it uh, because only bad things as an offensive guy can happen on special teams. Well, things seem to happen really, really poorly against your special teams units every single week for the opposing team. Brian Mason's a star, man. I, I don't know how he does it, but it's like every week he's going to block one and every week it's going to completely change the outcome of the game. How is it that y'all are constantly able to put pressure on the opposing punt unit? You know, I think Coach Mace, um, one, does an unbelievable job. We got a chance to work together at Cincinnati, and we were together actually probably 10 years ago. He was GA for us at Kent State and then went to Purdue, and I've known him for a long time, and to see his growth, um, he does, has done an unbelievable job. But, you know, the ability to get, you know, now all of a sudden you see these, everybody does shield punt, you know, and, and what Coach Mace does, he does a great job of getting people free to the shields and then it's an execution yeah. it's very similar to what you were talking about us running duo we could motion you shift you tempo you kind of try to hide all these different ways to run duo but we're going to run duo the same thing yeah. it goes for the punk block <laughs> unit is that we might bring different guys all the time but we're, we're still just trying to get uh, the number of shields you have, we're trying to get the amount of defenders to that um, that shield. And, and, and then it's the execution. I told him Friday in our team meeting, I said, listen, the team that can execute when you're not surprised, right? That when the, when the opponent is not surprised, they know we're coming, right? We blocked yeah. about five punts in four games and, and the, the punt units know we're coming, but it's the ability to execute, get to the shield and execute. And, and what you saw is that first punt block. We got three guys to the shield. They had three guys to protect. One guy was free and he blocked the punt. He executed and we scored. And so it's really good to see the buy-in from, from the players now. I know they're excited every week during his office, how we're going to get to the shield this week, coach. And uh, this week we'll present another challenge. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I mean, some are easier than others. There have been some guys unblocked where the shield was uh I'm not sure what the shield was doing, but hey, you don't have to apologize for it, man. It's it's been awesome. And I gotta give Coach Mason a ton of credit. He's fun to watch on the sideline too. I mean he's going yeah, nuts. He's gotta, yeah, he's gotta calm down a couple of times. He got worn. I said, Listen, man, if anybody's gonna get a fifteen yard penalty, you know, I'll throw it on me, but we're not gonna have our special teams coordinator get a fifteen yard penalty for getting after the refs or celebrating, but he's done a great job. You know, the other thing, Greg, is that you look at um I think we won the battle of field position field position by I think sixteen yards this last game. Wow. And then the week before versus Syracuse, it might have been seventeen or eighteen, two punts down inside the ten. Like all those things matter. And yeah. I know the punt blocks get most of the credit, but everything they're doing on special teams has been really, really successful. Yeah, no, it's amazing. It really is. Uh speaking of calming down, uh that was the last thing you would have wanted to tell your fans on <laughs> on Saturday. I I it's the first time this year, Coach. Like I always go back on Sunday and watch the coaches' tape. I've just that's that's what I'm trained to do. That's how I watch it. I just felt compelled for whatever reason to watch the television copy of not just your game but the LSU Bama game. I just felt like I I needed to see for myself what it looked like, what it sounded like. It was unbelievable. What what they, now you've you've been there not as long as others, but I've I've seen that Notre Dame Stadium overrun with visiting teams fans. Not the case on Saturday. So just help me understand what that was like uh, and being able to embrace that home field advantage, make it tough on on Clemson, who was visiting. 
you know, there was a narrative, man, before this last game that that our home field was an advantage. And ultimately, it was because of us. We didn't play well. And if you don't give your fans something to cheer about, many fans aren't going to cheer. That's the reality of it. Listen, if if we're not coaching well and our kids aren't playing well, we're not going to be going crazy. We understand that. Um, but we played well. Our fans were unbelievable. Um, there was a lot of blue and green in that stadium. And uh, for them to, to, to rush the field after the game was – what a unique experience. Um, I remember yeah. for a while I told the, the security guys that were with me, and I was like, listen, let's just stay down here and enjoy it. Then after about 20 seconds, I said, okay, we got to get out of here. This is getting pretty crazy. But uh, it's something you won't forget, Greg. It was a, a special night and uh, one, again, that will continue to propel us forward. It was awesome, man. I think you should be just so excited about the momentum that's been created and, and looking at just kind of the adversity that you guys had early in the season. Um Look, you weather the storm, uh, and then you get you get a good win, and then you know thing. Then you self assess, and now you've kind of figured your team out. Now I know the Stanford game, notwithstanding, that was the one that you'd love to have back, and I think all of us would love to see that game played again because uh, I think the outcome would be very different. But what would you say you've learned the most uh, about being a head coach and kind of adapting to your team and kind of allowing your team to kind of find their own identity to the point now where they're starting to play really good football down the stretch. Well, I think you look at a game, you look at the season, it's a metaphor of life. It never goes as you expect it to start, right? And and to start the season, everybody, listen, every person in this program, okay, we're going to win national championship. We're going to win every game. It's going to be like this. And and all of a sudden you lose Ohio State and lose to Marshall. And, and you you're there's ups and downs. There's ups and downs in a game. There's ups and downs in a season. There's ups and downs in, in marriage. There's ups and downs in life. And, and the ability to really – to handle those inconsistencies of life, those inconsistencies within a game, right? And that's what I'm learning is that I tell our players, we don't have to lose a game to to learn from the inconsistencies of what happens within a game. Our ability to handle some of those ups and downs within a, a game, a series, is going to really dictate how successful we are. And so the ability to adjust the plan, right? Everybody tells you early in the year, trust the process, trust the process. And I, I told our guys, we can't trust the process. We've got to fix it. And, and that's sometimes what losing does. It makes you reevaluate everything you're doing, right? And, and I know it's bad to say this, but I think you can learn so many more lessons from losses than you do from wins, yeah. right? And, and wins, you get that great feeling that only wins, victories will give you. Um, you gain confidence in what you're doing, but the the, the intentionality and, and the lessons you learn from losing, man, is things that we have to, as we have success, continue to have that same mindset, is that we got to evaluate everything we're doing, how we're preparing, how we're executing with those same lenses, that same set of eyes that we do um, after wins that we do after losses. And so that's what championship programs do, as you would know, is that they don't let the result of a game truly dictate their preparation or evaluation. And that's what we continue to grow. Me as a leader, it starts with me and us as a program. Well, couldn't be happier for you, Coach. Tremendous job. Can't wait to see what you guys do down the stretch. Navy this week, Boston College the following week, and then finally finishing up on the road in, in beautiful Southern California against the Trojans, man. Can't tell you how much we appreciate it. We look forward to seeing you down the stretch. Best of luck. Thanks for having me, Greg. All right, great visit with Marcus Freeman there. What a performance from his team. Not to say that I'm all that surprised. I mean, the way they've been built. Now, a lot of people wanted to kind of start to charge and say, hey, this is this is this program's gone off the rails. Y'all, they started 0-2. All right, it happens. They let Ohio State beat them twice. It is what it is. 
But since then, I know the loss to Stanford is a little bit of a head scratcher for sure. But if you look forward, I mean, they've done some good things and they've identified a legitimate, I mean, identity. I mean, that's really what they are. I mean, they have an identity. Now they're very physical. They're very tough. And they are going to pound you into submission if you allow them to. So credit to him and his staff with what they've now become and expect to see a little bit more of what we've seen up to this point. They might even find their way into a New Year's Six Bowl game. After all, it could be tough, but man, there's a lot of teams in front of them that are very much up in the air, and they are not a team I'd want to play right now. Look, there's no question who the best team in the SEC is. We know that's the Georgia Bulldogs. There's also not really a question right now as to who the best team in the ACC is. Even after the loss to Notre Dame, I think most people would still say Clemson. I might push back on that just a hair because I'm a Team Drake May uh, and North Carolina. Been on them all year and feel like they could make a lot of noise and create some matchup issues against a Clemson secondary that to me seems a little gettable. But in the Pac-12, there are three teams right now with one loss that are fighting for the possibility of getting to the conference championship and then ultimately finding their way into the college football playoff. I think the Pac-12 is about as interesting as it gets right now. <laughs> I really do. Because everyone's talking about Oregon and the hot streak that they've been on. But I'm telling you, man, do not sleep on UCLA because if they take care of business against SC, which I think they will based on how SC is playing defense right now, then you could find a scenario in which UCLA and Oregon play again. And if it's not in the friendly confines of Watson Stadium, will UCLA, who remember got into the red zone seven times in that game, but ultimately had several disappointments in that game as well. They moved the ball, just didn't finish. I think UCLA could definitely knock off the Ducks if given the opportunity to play again. But in the Big Ten, man, you look at it, everyone seems to think it's Ohio State. It's Ohio State. It's Ohio State. Y'all, a couple weeks ago, I had Michigan number one, okay? I had Michigan number one for a few different reasons. Why? Because they're more complete than Ohio State. They're also more physical than Ohio State. And what did we learn just this past week? And I'm not trying to compare the SEC and the Big Ten. I'm not. I think that they're very different leagues. I think that the SEC and, and the top of the SEC and the top of the Big Ten, there are some comparables. I've said, gosh, how many weeks ago? Six, seven weeks ago, I said, man, you know what? Tennessee and Ohio State feel very similar to me. And then I think Georgia and Michigan feel very similar to me. I remember having this conversation. Everyone lost their minds. Like, no, Ohio State's way better. No, Ohio State and Tennessee, please. Like, no, they're very similar. It's not negative. It's just they're very similar. Good quarterback play, adequate offensive line when it comes to pass blocking, run game. Yeah, I think Tennessee can run it maybe a little bit better than Ohio State can. But either way, you know, neither team are going to really hang their hat in the run game defensively pretty good, but you know, probably Ohio state has better personnel. And I think Ohio state has a higher ceiling on defense. So all those things, like we drew that, those comparisons, people said we were crazy, but there's honestly a lot of truth to the similarities between Ohio state and, and what you see from Georgia or excuse me, Ohio state and what you see from Tennessee. Well, explain to me why you think Michigan and Georgia are so vastly different. I think there's a lot of similarities there as well. Now, Georgia fans will balk at that, but it's a compliment to you, Georgia. I had Michigan number one in the country a couple weeks ago. Georgia, not as much of a team that's going to completely gash you with the run game. They're a little bit more balanced. They have excellent tight ends. 
They have excellent personnel at tight end. Whereas Michigan, I think Michigan has superior running backs in some spots. You're saying, no, 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 Georgia's got Georgia fans. There are some spots where some teams are comparable. I know you have a talent advantage over just about everybody. I get that. I'm not preaching to you and saying you don't. I get that. But there are spots where Michigan, there are guys that start for Michigan that would also start for Georgia. You might disagree with that. I think there are. Okay. You have a quarterback in JJ McCarthy that I think is a very underappreciated aspect. Well, guess what? Stetson Bennett, very underappreciated as well. You look at the wide receivers. I think the wide receivers for Georgia, very underappreciated. Probably not superhuman, probably not all going to get drafted in the first round, but pretty dang good. Wide receivers at Michigan, pretty dang good. Very underappreciated in a lot of ways. Now, there's no Brock Bowers on Michigan's roster. Now, if you want to put Brock Bowers into the tight end category, that's fine. I would probably have him more in the, you know, H-back, matchup, weapon, Swiss Army knife type of category. But either way, the teams are very comparable. Well, explain to me this. This is a long way of saying we just assume Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten. Why is that? Because they're exciting. Because they score points. Because they have a Heisman Trophy contender at quarterback. Well, Tennessee had all those things too. But what happened when Tennessee went toe-to-toe against a team that will not just match them with physicality, but will go way beyond them in physicality and punch them in the face? What happened? It got sideways in favor of the Georgia Bulldogs. Now you can say, well, it was in their home back. It was in their backyard. You know, it was a big, you know, they were on the road. Sure, all those things are great. But guess what travels? Physicality. Guess what travels? Defense. Guess what travels? Run game. That's what travels. Guess what doesn't? Pass game. Front running attitude. You're telling me that we just saw Georgia go toe-to-toe and smoke Tennessee. I mean, you just beat them down. An offense that was unstoppable prior to last week scored 13 points. All right? And, by the way, some of their points felt like it was in garbage time. Even though they lost by 14, it felt like 100. Okay? It really did. It felt like an insurmountable lead. It really did. In some ways, if you really watch it, it really felt that way. Okay? Well, why are we so convinced that Ohio State is just going to, you know, roll the ball out and smoke Michigan? Do we all forget what looked like last year? Did we all forget? Because last I checked, you say, oh, that was a perfect storm day. You know, that one, that, that it's different. This Ohio State team is better than last year. Are they? Okay, I think they're a little better on defense, sure. But I don't think they're as much of a threat to run the ball. Like the offensive line is as average as the day is long. Even though they look average, they look great. Getting off the bus, I want my offensive line leading me off the bus. That's the best looking offensive line in football. And that might not include the NFL. I'm talking just flat out, those dudes look the part. They don't play the part. Can't run the ball with any consistency. Averaged about four yards a carry if you take away two long runs against the 105th ranked defense in the country against the run in Northwestern. All right, so you're looking at all these different things, man. Why is it that we're so convinced that Ohio State's going to just walk the dog on Michigan? I'm not. Right now, if they played on a neutral site, I'm taking Michigan every day of the week. Not saying that Ohio State won't ultimately win and not saying I won't have a different opinion three weeks from now when they ultimately tee it up because I very well may. But man, be careful making assumptions about Ohio State because we made those same assumptions about Tennessee and as soon as they got hit in the mouth, they got smoked. Well, I can promise you this. 
Michigan is going to hit Ohio State in the mouth. How will they respond? It'll be very interesting. All right. Another thing that we also want to discuss. All right. The Big 12. We know all about the Big 12, right? We've talked about the quality of the Big 12. We've talked about the depth of the Big 12. If I'm going to be honest, remember I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. We ranked all the divisions, remember? We went division, 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 and then we did you know Pac-12 and the Big 12. They don't have divisions, so we ranked their entire collection of teams. Right? We had the Big 10 West as the worst and the ACC Coastal, like the two worst, remember? And then we went on down the list. Well, the Pac-12 was somewhere in there, you know, fifth, sixth in that vicinity, all right? The ACC Atlantic was like fifth. I remember SEC West and East. We had the East ahead of the West. I still think that probably served true. I have the West at two or the East at two and the, and the West is four. The Big Ten East is, is at three. Well, guess what's number one? The Big 12 still, still, Why? Well, let's just look at their collection of teams. Y'all, Kansas is going bowling. You're going to say, well, that should be, if anything else, that should be, you know, that should be a black eye on the Big 12. Why? Because they're not a traditional power? Like, that's, that's where we're at? Because to me, I don't think you should necessarily be defined by your traditional power. We've had this conversation, and we'll probably have it, you know, maybe we'll have this conversation tomorrow. Right? Is the ACC stink because Clemson lost? No. All right, no, they they're not. They don't. Let's let's save that one. Let's save that for tomorrow. Okay. Let's talk about the ACC and their supremacy and all this other stuff and the quality of the league. We'll talk about that tomorrow. All right. So just let's button that up, put it away. We have time to hit that tomorrow. But y'all, the Big Twelve is legit. They are really good. And if you want any other reason as to why I think they're legit, don't take my word for it. All right, don't take my word for it. Do you trust Vegas? Because I, I think Vegas, if, if nothing else, has been proven to be awfully trustworthy over the years, right? Like I feel like if nothing else, when in doubt, look at Vegas. They're probably right over the course of a season, right? You're going to say, well, you know, they, they get stuff wrong all the time. I, I get that. I, I know. <laughs> like, I, I get it. I get it. Believe me, if Vegas didn't get things wrong every once in a while, nobody would gamble because everyone would be broke, okay? Vegas, though, for the most part, pretty dang good. I talked about the depth of the Big 12, right? You realize that TCU is a touchdown underdog this weekend against a team that has not one, not two, but three losses and nearly had four because they had a big lead again and almost gave it up this past week against Kansas state. I'm talking about the Texas Longhorns. We know it's going to be a night game. Austin's going to be rocking. It's the biggest game they've had there since week two. <laughs> and that was it. That was an 11 a.m. kick and it was rocking. So you can imagine how good it's going to be at 630 local there from Daryl K. Royal Memorial Stadium. It's going to be awesome. But that just speaks to the depth of the league. Like I think TCU is phenomenal. I do. I think TCU is really, really good. I think they have great power. I think they have great speed. I think they have great quarterback play. Great quarterback play. Max Duggan has been phenomenal this year. I love him. I love his story. I love his toughness. I love his grit. I mean, I lo There's not a thing I don't like about Max Duggan. I love his backfield mate. I love his wide receivers. 
I love everything about TCU this year. But you know who TCU kind of reminds me of? Oh, boy. I'm bringing it full circle. I'm bringing it full circle. You ready? You know who TCU kind of reminds me of? Tennessee. Ohio State. Oh, no, Greg. You just put them in a category amongst teams that are high-flying offenses? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And guess what? It didn't end well for them. Didn't end well for them. Not when they were going against a team that would flat out punch you in the mouth. Texas is going to punch them in the mouth this weekend, y'all. Now, Texas isn't back, okay? Let's not get carried away. Texas is not the Texas of 2009, okay? Shoot, Texas might not even be the Texas of like 2017 whenever they won the Sugar Bowl. I don't know when that was. You know when it was, okay? When Sam Ellinger famously said, we're back. No, you're not. Jeff Saturdays, you're in the room, coach. You're not back, all right? Talking about you in Indianapolis for those that missed the news. More on that later, too. We need to address that. Because if Jeff Saturday has success in Indianapolis, just imagine how scorching hot the takes will be on Get Up every morning. They'll fire every coach every week. Dan Orlovsky will get the Baltimore Ravens job. I mean, it'll be wild. All right? So we'll see exactly how it all goes. But back to the original point. The depth of the Big 12 is phenomenal. TCU is really, really good and will deservingly, deservingly, they better tonight. If not, we're fighting, me and the committee. I will fly to Dallas on my own and literally I will picket in the streets of the Gaylord Texan waiting for the committee to give TCU some respect. They will deservingly be in the top four and should be. If they're not, you're going to definitely want to tune in tomorrow. All right, but TCU's in trouble this weekend, y'all. In the era right now, it's very sexy to score points. It's very sexy to put up a lot of yards. It's very sexy to put up ungodly statistical stat, this gaudy statistical evidence that you could throw the ball over all over the yard. Everyone gets enamored with how you throw the football. It's exciting. It's fun. It's good to watch. But give me the physical football team that will punch you in the mouth every single time against the team that's high-flying. TCU's in trouble this weekend, y'all. And it's a testament to how good the Big 12 is. It's a testament to the depth of the Big 12 that an undefeated team is going against a team that's way on down the list, way on down the table, if you want to use soccer terms or football terms or whatever, way on down the table, and they're a seven-point dog. Don't take my word for it. Take Vegas's word for it. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. 
Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Starting your own small business can be a total roller coaster. Between all those bumpy twists and turns comes the actual business side of your business, which can really throw you for a loop. Luckily, with QuickBooks, you can manage your business with confidence from the start. So no matter how bumpy the ride gets, you can always stay on track. New business, no problem. Success starts with Intuit QuickBooks. Learn more at quickbooks.com. All right, final thought here. I want to give a tip of the cap to Jeff Saturday, who is now ultimately going to become, hopefully gets the interim tag removed. He is going to become the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Why is this significant? <laughs> this is significant in so many ways. I love this. There are two people ever that have complimented me on doing a game at ESPN. One was Jeff Saturday. The other was Jim Moore Jr. So those are literally the only two people that ever gave me credit doing a game ever. Both are now head coaches. So I'm excited about that. Two, it gives me hope. Someday I feel like I'm going to get a call. And I hope it's from, I hope it's not from Alabama, by the way. I hope it's from somewhere else because I don't want to become interim coach at my school. Because I know I'll probably just get yelled at, and if we lose, I'll get kicked out and never be able to go to a game again. Like Mike Shula, who's basically like totally turned his back on the program, even though he did a lot of good things at the program. But I love to get a call someday to like, hey, dude, do you want to come call plays? Who? For who? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Michigan? Yeah. <laughs> like Anything's possible, man. If we're seeing all these scenarios where all these coaches are just coming out of the no experience whatsoever. Adam Schefter tweeted this. I might, by the, I might say, by the way, Adam Schefter tweeted this. Jeff Saturday is going to become the Indianapolis Colts interim head coach. He has most recently been serving as an ESPN analyst. And by the way, he was the head coach at Dacula High School, Dacula or whatever the heck it was, Georgia. Like, oh, gotcha. So that head coaching stint at Dacula Academy, that has you ready for the big show. In all seriousness, I couldn't be happier for Jeff Saturday. How cool is that, man? You're going back to your alma mater, if you will. I know it's always college football, but Jeff's a friend. Happy for him. I, I kind of want to twist this now into Carnell and Cadillac Williams, who had Auburn. Now, it, was it a great performance? No, it was not a great performance. They ultimately lost the game. And you know here on our show, we do not give out moral victories. Unless you're really, really bad, you don't get moral victories. Like if you're UMass and you play someone close, I'll give you a moral victory, okay? If you're uh, Hawaii and you play someone close... Moral victory. Good. Hold on. That, this year, right? shouldn't Auburn qualify for moral victories, though? There are just no moral, this year. One there year. Are no, there are no moral victories ever. Not on our show. We don't give out moral victories. We don't give out participation trophies. We don't give out any of those things unless you're really, really, really bad. Okay? Like, close losses don't count in our world. I went to the fifth grade peewee football game on Sunday night. All right? It was the peewee football championship for our little community here in Birmingham. All right, the Pee Wee Football Championship. And I saw, very obviously, there were only two teams that make the championship, have to go through the playoffs and everything. The champion's trophy was about this big. All right, like huge. Probably like a foot and a half tall. Huge. The runner-up's trophy was about this big. All right, it was about yay high. If you lose that game... 
your trophy's this big. You win that game, it's like the dang Stanley Cup. All right? That's the way it should be. All right? There are no participation trophies. Not on my show. All right? Not on our show. And this is not just my show. This is Coob's show. This is Jack's show. This is the listener's show. This is for y'all. We don't do moral victories. But Cadillac Williams, if we're going to find a sliver of positivity on what's been a remarkably disappointing five-game losing streak for the Auburn Tigers, Cadillac Williams did have those dudes playing hard. And it was very cool to see the first African-American head coach run out of the tunnel. He ran out of the tunnel 42 times as a player to run out of the tunnel, leading his alma mater onto the field. He was the running backs coach before. They, of course, got rid of everyone on the offensive staff for the most part. He steps up as the interim, and I can't imagine what that moment must have been like for him leading his school as the head coach. Very cool. So cool moment this weekend, but either way, no, you did not. You do not leave the field feeling good about your effort. You leave the field feeling bad about the fact that you lost because there are no participation trophies. Either way, though, very cool moment for Cadillac Williams and for everyone in the Auburn family who knows Cadillac, that has been around Cadillac. I know you're happy for him to have that opportunity. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Thanks so much for being with us. It's been an awesome show so far. Been an awesome week so far. Had all those breakdowns yesterday. Had Marcus Freeman have more coming tomorrow, including our discussion about the ACC and about whether or not the league's any good. Yeah, I'm just gonna. I'll, you, I'm gonna tease that, but also not. Yes, it's not that bad. Yes, you can have your brand name teams be a little bit down relative to what they've been in the past. Doesn't mean the league stinks. Drives me crazy that the narratives get sent out there. Just drives me crazy. But hey, that's what we're here for. That's why we have always college football to be able to talk you back. Talk you back from the ledge. Don't get all don't get enamored with the chaos and don't get enamored with the craziness and the low-hanging fruit arguments that sports media gives you. We're here to give you a little bit of peace of mind. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.